everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the IDM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and joining me once again is Dr. Megan Cannell. She is a licensed psychologist, clinical psychologist, and has been practicing for quite some time now. And you may remember, if you're a longtime listener, we discussed some of her work back in November 2017, which seems bizarre that that's two and a half years ago. So, it was that long ago? Yeah. Episode, <laughs> oh episode 22. So go back in the archives and find that because there's some good stuff in there. So if you're not familiar with Dr. Cannell, she is very active in using D&D, role-playing games as therapy, is very prominently involved in Geeks Like Us, who uh, you have the Psychology at the Table show, also a podcast that I think you recently started. So there's a lot of cool things that you're involved in. And one of the things that strikes me is we were preparing to talk this combination of mental health and tabletop gaming really seems to have come a long way since 2017. And I imagine in another three years, it'll be even more blended. And I think we're both have sights on how we can continue to do that. So uh, first off, welcome back. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I can't believe it was in 2017. That seems so long ago. Yes, it's a wow. different different world <laughs> for me, certainly, because that's, yeah, I, my son was maybe not even one yet. So it's, there's a lot going on now. <laughs> <laughs> what is new with you? Uh, very busy. Um, as you mentioned, I'm doing a podcast now with Geeks Like Us called Brain Noodles, where it's um, myself and three of my fellow psychology friends sit down and talk about the stuff that is on our brains um, and tie in some psychology research and talk about that. Still going strong with Clinical Role, the live D&D show that I do where uh, it's all my players are other therapeutic dungeon masters or psychologists. Um, and actually, one of the big things that I've started doing recently is I do a lot of consulting now on therapeutic D&D. D. Um, I, I think for the entire month of January and for half of February, I was doing two calls a week uh, with either graduate students or undergrads or people in the profession already uh, using D&D therapeutically. And it is just so amazing to see how much the idea of using D&D as therapy has taken off. And then I'm also so, so thrilled. Research is finally being done. Yes, it, and like, it's so exciting because like the big thing for psychology is we need evidence. We need to like, yes. anecdotally, we feel like D&D is a, an effective therapy tool, but now there are studies being done that will show if, if it actually is or not. Um, my guess is it is because I just see it, <laughs> but sure. um, I, I'm really excited that research is finally being done. Yeah. And even the, the facility where I work, there's a... Uh, we have an intern right now that's running a D&D group, uh, which is funny because I didn't get that initiative started. It was great that I've just sort of coming in late to the party and consulting on that. Um, and they're collecting some data. And I think, you know, by the end of the year, uh, they'll have a, a pretty good sample size to start looking at beyond that anecdotal evidence of we find this effective to have some, some science behind this, which can then be published and then maybe start spreading the word about how to do this. And it sounds like you've been very involved in that over the years. Trying to be. It is very interesting. When I first started getting into psychology back when I was an undergrad, I really wanted to do research because I was just so fascinated by 
how the mind works and how we work. And then as I got into my research class in grad school and I realized you could spend seven to 10 years answering one research question, I went, no, thank you. (laughs) No, no, this is not for me. I will be a clinician. I'll be very happy being a clinician. I'm not going to be a research psychologist. And now here I am consulting on research. It's the many paths that our lives take. It's not always expected. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's been interesting to you over the last two and a half years with blending your professional role and this gaming interest, kind of blending the two wor- worlds of your hobby and the professional work? I think just how much fun it remains and just how powerful of a tool. Like I am actually coming in tonight off of running one of my therapy games. Um, and it is just so much fun and it is so rewarding. Um, and just seeing people grow and develop and how much enjoyment they get out of the group and how much connection they have. And then I think one of the cool things that has changed from me in 2017 to me today is I've really learned to embrace improv and the random factor of play so much more. Okay. Um, I used to very carefully plan out the campaigns and really have each week fully planned out when we started the sessions. And now what I do is session one, the group helps me create the world. Then they help create the stories that are happening in the world. And then they vote on the stories they want to play. And then I turn it into a narrative that makes sense, and then we go out and we explore it. And then I just sort of see what they find in each section. And week after week, um, I kind of just roll with it and see what happens. Yeah, what's helped you embrace more of the randomness, the the improv, the collaborative world building? Because that's something I think I've always been in the games I just DM for players – I want to have things prepared. I want it, I want people to be entertained. I want everyone to have a good time. And at the same time, I have this pull to just kind of not have a plan at all and just see what happens. And mm-hmm. the anxiety that comes in from both directions, it's still something I haven't quite squared that circle yet. So how have you resolved that? I think for me, it, there's a few different factors in it. Um, one is... I understand that like to grow as humans, we need to lean into the things that scare us. And so not having a plan and not feeling in control is definitely something that scared me a little bit with DMing. And so I knew that was where I needed to grow most. And so I very consciously leaned into that. Um, The first step that I did towards that was I actually got this um, amazing deck by my friends over at Gemhammer and Sons um, called the Deck of Wonder. Okay. And it's a hundred random things that can happen in the game. Cool. Um, some of my more favorite ones are everyone's shoes filled with custard. <laughs> uh, the nearest enemy to you lays a dragon egg. <laughs> like, um, so I, I just brought that in just to see what would happen in the game. And it's just some random factors and it's been a lot of fun. And then a few things that I think have really helped, though, with being more open to improv and open to whatever in the game is learning the rules well enough to be comfortable with them and comfortable enough to make calls on the fly that I feel like are pretty close to being accurate, if not mostly accurate. Um, And then having a really good understanding of the mechanics of the world that the players are in. Um, For any who watch my show uh, Clinical Role, the last three sessions have all been entirely improv. Um, The first week that it was an improv session, the character whose story arc we were on 
uh, messaged me, but I didn't get the message until 10 minutes before we went live that they couldn't make the show. Okay. And so in 10 minutes, I threw together something. <laughs> and uh, we had the players, we took another player, and we're like, we're going to play a bit of your backstory tonight. And what's that going to be? And I let the other characters develop it. We picked a part of the world that it was going to happen in. They helped me create that part of the world. And then we did a story. Um, the next week, we found out another one of our players was sick about, I got about an hour notice that time. Wow. So, you know, multiple you times know, the preparation. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I'm like, ah, uh, pirate adventure, because we're going to go to a pirate island. Help me build out the pirate island and let's let's do something. And then this last week, I actually had the full day. I knew when I woke up in the morning that uh, I was not going to have the regular contingency of players. And so we're going to have to improv something. But on Mondays, I work a full day. I work. I start seeing clients at 10 a.m. and I'm not done until 7 p.m. Mm, and we go day. live at 9 p.m. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't really have time to prep the adventure. So it was again, I didn't even know. I only ended up having two players out of my six, and so I didn't okay. even know what we were doing until halfway through this game. And it was still, we still had a lot of fun, and it was a really productive game. But it's, I know the world well enough that they're playing in, and I know the overarching themes that are going on in the world, like the stuff that's happening in the wider world that I can weave smaller narratives into it and give it, you know, small things that maybe are inconsequential, but could actually, you know, have a big role later on. And I wonder what tools do you use to keep the mechanics of the world kind of at arm's reach, or do you have that all floating around in your head? Do you have notes? Like what are you, what are your systems for managing all that? So I've been using um, OneNote, but that's gotten too cumbersome, uh, and I've recently switched over to World Anvil. I haven't fully switched everything to World Anvil yet, so I'm still trying it. I am not sponsored by them, but uh, they're, it's, it's a really cool technique. One of the things I'm liking, um, I, I was actually talking about this with someone else, that uh, a tool I really find helpful for longer-term campaigns is keeping a calendar. Okay. Um, not like a, a real world calendar, a calendar in the fantasy realm. Mm -hmm. And so if it takes the characters three days, you mark off three days on the calendar and you kind of note what happens on those three days. And that lets you know a little bit better what your NPCs are doing in the background. Okay. Um, and again, so it's nothing like, I'll pull the screen back to any of my players who listen a bit. So they depart, you know, part ways with one NPC. And I know that that NPC is going to go from here to here. And I guess like, OK, that will probably take two months. And so I'll just write on the calendar two months of the future. NPC arrives at blah, blah, blah. OK. And then that kind of helps me keep the world going in the background. And so I can kind of very quickly reference that calendar to let me know what's going on in the world. So as they're interacting with different things, I have stuff kind of. Uh, I don't know how I would put this. It's uh, the outline is there, mm -hmm. but then I flesh it out and actually give it more life. And is that something that's in World Anvil or that's something you keep separately? Uh, they do have a calendar in World Anvil and it's supposed to be that you can edit it. I have, I am still very new to using World Anvil. So probably anybody listening who uses it regularly is now yelling at the radios to <laughs> tell me how I'm supposed to be doing this. But you, I have set up a calendar um, based on the world in World Anvil and apparently you can log your party's movements across a map and tie it into the calendar as well. Oh, nifty. And That'd be cool. So almost like um, in Breath of the Wild, seeing the hero's journey when you press Y on the map. Okay. 
you can see the parties journey. I haven't quite figured out how to actually get that to work. I read about it. I think it exists on there, but again, I'm sure people are yelling at their podcast <laughs> device. To, <laughs> no, just screaming to at you all over the world. Yes. Like, what are you doing? Yes. <laughs> I think that's a really important grounding tool for, for everybody. And especially you like trying to keep all this straight. I, I don't know how often your group meets, but I know that the group I'm in, I'm in a couple of different groups as a player and, at best, we meet once a month, mm. and it's an ongoing campaign, and one of the groups we're playing Tomb of Annihilation, and, you know, it takes a long time. We're probably looking at another year or so, but a lot has happened over the two years we've been playing, but, like, what that means in the calendar of the game gets fuzzy, and something like a calendar or something tangible you could look at would be useful. I would definitely find that useful. Yeah, and I think as a DM, if you can share that calendar with your players. Now I don't share mine with my players cause it has spoilers in it. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, that can also be helpful, especially where you have games like the one you're talking about, where you're not meeting regularly when you're playing weekly, it's much easier to keep up. Right. Um, but if you're only meeting every few weeks or every month, it's a little harder to remember because like for you, you know, it might be that this really horrible battle where someone went to zero hit points and we had to do a resurrection Oh, you're in tomb of annihilation. You can't do resurrections <laughs> or what, you know, like this horrible thing. Spoiler that happened. alert. Spoiler. <laughs> well, that's like in the intro of the campaign. Right. That's not a spoiler. Yeah. Um, you know, that it's going for you as a player. It's like, that was two months ago, but the character that might've only been a day ago, depending mm -hmm. on how, um, things are going with the pacing. And so trying to remember the emotional headspace of your characters can be really important and really valuable as well. Yeah. You mentioned early on during a conversation here that you know, you've been involved in helping people grow through role-playing games. And I think that's the goal of using it as a therapeutic tool is to help people achieve some goals, learn some skills. And you mentioned that there's now hopefully a growing body of research that we'll be able to look at and point to in terms of inside therapy, or maybe just people who are playing the game with friends for, for fun as a hobby. What are some of the themes that you've seen in terms of personal growth that you think D and D and role-playing games really can foster for people? I think they help us grow in ways that we didn't maybe know we needed to. Okay. Um, I've talked about this frequently that the reason I started doing the therapeutic games was because D and D gave me an insight into myself and it gave me insight into how I needed to grow and to develop. And that kind of wisdom and that kind of self-knowledge is invaluable. Um, but not only does it let us see into ourselves in that way, it gives us the opportunity to grow in a very, very safe, low risk environment you know, we feel and experience the emotions of our characters as though they are real to us. You know, and like um, the campaign I play, we have been playing for five years now, four years, five years, still same characters. And nice. so like we're really deeply attached to our characters. And we're excited. We're finally wrapping up the campaign and moving on to the next one. But like we feel things in a very deep and real way. And like it, it matters and it can change us. Um, and I just was doing some research for a talk I was giving on bullying and, you know, 
rereading and realizing again, you know, that we don't have to directly have an experience to have our brains encode that experience as though we had it. This is why when you're watching a horror movie, you can get actually scared and have a fear response. It's why when you're reading a really good book, your blood pressure can go up. Um, and so like just by role playing these experiences, part of our brain has basically said, okay, we've now had that experience and we have something to draw from because, you know, wisdom comes, you know, I'm saying the word experience over and over again, but that's where it comes from, right? It, it's going through these things and giving ourselves real world examples to draw from. And even though D and D isn't real world, it's real emotion. Mm. And that's something for us to draw from. Like, um, in the game tonight, uh, one of the players is playing a paladin and like has not had lucky dice. <laughs> I like, I think they w we went the first half of our you know semester and they didn't land a hit. Right? Okay, it's rough. Oh yeah, but tonight, um, their through their character arc, they had a really epic moment and an epic win, and you could see on the face of the player that they felt that win. And it was earned. It wasn't anything that I let dice fudge, you know, fudging with dice numbers and things. Right. It, it was an earned victory for them and really giving them this moment of character arc and character story and growth. And like it, it was a, just a very cool moment. And we took it and made it very cinematic for them. And like it ended and they were like, that was just the coolest thing ever. <laughs> right. That's great. And, and like that person now gets to walk around with that feeling of being heroic of finally stepping up and stepping into their you know themselves and finding that balance and that ability to be self-assured and so that's in there and even though it didn't happen to the human behind the character the human behind the character still experienced the emotions and that was so powerful to watch wow and for you running that and orchestrating that, what is that like for you? Like, what are the emotions you go through as you're, say, pulling strings, but trying to set up situations where those those things really come to the forefront for players? Oh, super proud. Like, <laughs> I, I just, as a DM, the, the emotion I want to see in my players is delight. I want to create that moment where, they go, oh, and they are pulled in and they're sucked into the story. And I just I love that. I love it so much. I love pulling them in and hooking them into the story in a way where I know they're thinking about it, where I know it, they have connected with it in a meaningful way. Um, and so anytime I see that, it's just I'm just basically like, you know, chin in my hands and just with a big grin Ment mentally, of course, I'm being the stoic proper GM. <laughs> it's all but poker face. It yes. all. Oh my gosh. <laughs> now it is just so much fun and it's so amazing to see people grow. And even when we're growing through painful stuff, it is really powerful to see. Um, it, about a year ago, um, another one of my groups had a very, very difficult arc. Um, and this is, again, something where it was completely improv. What I had planned was they were going to go and try to rob a black dragon and probably successfully rob the black dragon and go into a dungeon and there was going to be this really interesting dungeon thing. They got caught. And then so I went in my brain, okay, they're going to run away. They decided to try to parlay with the black dragon. Always a good idea. 
<sighs> now, I'll give you some context in it. They were trying to get the hand of Vecna. The Black Dragon had the hand of Vecna. So I was like, okay, this is going to be a TPK if they should decide to fight. So this, you know, and I did, in my therapy games, I do give warnings when they're close to something like that. Like, if you push this, this could be a TPK and we're going to roll up new characters and start something different. Uh, okay, okay, we're not going to make it a TPK, but, um, you know, if you know the lore around Black Dragons, they love to manipulate people and they love to manipulate good people more than anything. And there's a lawful good cleric in the party. Mm-hmm. And so what this Black Dragon said was, sure, I'll give you the hand if I can put it on you. Nice. And uh, the player was going to go for it, but the rest of the group wasn't going to let them. And it was this really powerful moment that happened. And it it allowed for us to have a really real discussion about life and how life isn't choosing between what's right and what's wrong. It's usually choosing between this horrible thing with these consequences or this horrible thing with these consequences. You know, neither some decisions feel better than others, but maybe in the long run they feel worse, right? Like sleeping in and not going to the gym, it feels great, but having a heart attack because you haven't worked out in 10 years feels terrible. Right. And so like we have to weigh that. And so we had a really powerful discussion around this and there was a lot of heartbreak and tears because they, um, the party had through the deck of wonder, they had a dragon, dragon egg and it happened to be a metallic dragon egg. Okay. And so they were able to say like, how about we give you a baby metallic dragon instead, which of course for a black dragon, Oh boy. (laughs) Right. That, and so they made that deal, but they were all really heartbroken because as a group, they were looking forward to having a pet baby dragon. (laughs) Sure. Well, and as you're talking about this idea of, it reminds me of something I, I talk about in therapy quite a bit with with uh, individuals is kind of the difference between right and wrong and effective and ineffective. And those things don't always equal. Right? Yeah. What's right might not be effective. And sometimes that is a challenge for people when they're pretty convinced they're in the right and that's not getting them what they want. And it sounds mm-hmm. like a little bit like that for this group where there was some tension there between definitely. different players. And what's your comfort level with that? Not only in a therapy group, but just as a as a person running the game in general, it sounds like you've had a lot of experience over the years dealing with that type of, of tension. But I imagine other DMs might not have the skills mm-hmm. that, that, that you have in terms of managing that. So how what's your comfort level and what would you recommend people do when those situations come up at the table? I have a lot of comfort with it, but I think a lot of that comes from, you know, being a psychologist, but also the explicit nature of what the group is. Um, I think like having tension and having this moral ambiguity, like number one, I advocate for session zero all the time. That needs to be brought up in session zero. Like if you are not running a straight black and white campaign, if this is there are shades of gray, there is not going to be one right answer. Good people do bad things. Bad people do good things. Like, this is going to be hard in that you want your players to know that I check in frequently with my players from clinical role, um, especially when there's hard hitting moments with a lot of emotion. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to that all my players trust me enough to reach out um, and talk to me. Um, and one of my players, we had an arc where um, a player was confronted with like understanding that a genie was trapped in a gem. And they're like, I think I want to go free all the genies. And they're a newer player to D&D. And I had to be like, D- 
you know what genies are like? <laughs> and like, I'm imagining genie from Aladdin. I was like, right. no, they're all basically Jafar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like, oh, so it's kind of a good thing that they're in the gym. And then I had to go, well, depends on who you ask. You know, like you take the genie out of their element and yeah, that powerful evil being's gone, but that creates a power vacuum in that area. And so I don't know what's going to happen. You know, so like, and they were like, ah, I wish this was, you know, it's like, I want there to be a right answer. It's like, that's not the campaign we're playing. (laughs) Well, and that would be an interesting thing to clarify with players early on in that session zero, Mm -hmm. where if you have a group that is just pretty much straight line thinkers, like we're going to solve a problem and go straight ahead. um, Having that kind of nuance will probably frustrate people. Mm -hmm. And if you have a group that's very cool with shades of gray and you give them a campaign where it's, sort of A, then B, then C, that'll probably frustrate them. So kind of knowing the group is is very important. Yeah, reading the room is really important. And I think I started off wanting to play a more linear A to B to C. Like, I didn't want to have to think. And it was fun, and I enjoyed it. But I will say the campaigns I have played where there are those shades of gray, it's so much more meaningful, and it's so much more fun. Um and like the real like heartbreak and stuff that you can feel in those moments in these campaigns where it's not clean. Um, I don't know if anybody, you know, listening watches Critical Role the past week, their live show in Chicago. Like it's the only episode of this new campaign that I have watched twice. Okay. Because it was so good, but it was because it was all filled with shades of gray and complex things and there was no easy answer and it was just felt very real and super duper emotional and beautiful and wonderful and also some really freaking hilarious parts too like yeah that's great (laughs) what maybe getting an overview of this you know something that i've been thinking about lately that i think is tied into this but is a little bit of an offshoot um because it seems like you've been pretty tiredless and working on all of this activity with, with D and D, like you mentioned, um, you, I mentioned the YouTube show that you've had, the psychology of the table, mm-hmm. you're doing clinical roles. So that's the streaming show, uh, with other health, mental health providers. And that's been going on now for, I guess, what, three years or so? Three years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's been going on for a while. And, you're consulting if, if you, um, people who follow you on Twitter, you know, you're always updating from different conventions and you've mentioned a few times here, preparing for talks, doing research, just viewing that as a lurker on Twitter and just, you know, having had a few conversations with you, I'm always struck by like, man, that seems tiring. Like that just seems like a lot to do. And I wonder how you balance that or if it's, if it gets out of balance at times. Oh, no, it's completely out of balance. I will own that. Like, I'm not going to put some sort of delusion of like, I can do it all. No, I'm very tired. Like, um, I constantly feel tired and feel a little bit behind on everything. Um, And so like anytime I do interviews like this where I'm getting to talk about what I do, I actually have a sticky note that says all the stuff I do. And then as I start talking about it and I'll remember stuff that's not on the sticky note and then I'm like, Oh, this is why I'm tired all the time. Um, But, you know, actually talking with you specifically and thinking about this, I think one of the reasons I'm able to do this was because I was in the military. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so like, it was a great experience and an experience I never want to have again. Um, my last duty station, I was the officer in charge of the mental health clinic. I was also um, a full-time clinician. So I was expected to see 30 clients a week. Um, and then I became the department head as well with no reduction in clinic time. And so every day that I went to my job, I was behind. Yeah. And even just this idea of six patients a day by itself is a huge load. And yeah. You're wearing multiple other hats at the same time. Yep. I'm having to go to clinic wide meetings to give counselings to all of the union employees, to all the soldiers, to I also had to do my physical training, you know, like and so I was juggling so much and trying just to keep up and there were you know, it was like my choices every day were like, Okay, who do I want to have yell at me tomorrow? Um and that was kind of how I had to base my days off of it was horrible. It was awful. Um, if this is what I knew, I was time to get out of the military. I pulled into the parking lot of my clinic one day and I sighed and kind of collapsed on my steering wheel and went, oh, I miss Iraq. Oh, <laughs> that's a bad thing to miss. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, it's doesn't realize I, I, I had to get out. It was too much. Um, and so it's given me this weird comparison though, because compared to then I'm doing great. <laughs> You know, at least like I'm enjoying all the stuff I'm behind on. I'm not having to write a counseling statement for my friend down the hall for being, you know, two pounds overweight when I know that they don't have time to exercise because they're doing the job of three people as well. Um, you know, I, I actually enjoy all of the stuff that I do, but it is exhausting. You know, it is really hard and it's, um, it's hard to keep the balance, you know, because I also have a family. I have four kids, uh, three of whom live at home. Um, and trying to go and surprise my kids by having lunch with them every now and then, or, you know, just being present at dinner, um, coming home and playing a video game or just taking some me time has been incredibly difficult. So, like, I, I don't want people to see it and be like, oh, man, she does it all without problem. Like, no. <laughs> It, She's got it all of, figured out. Nope, nope. There's a lot of suffering. Um, I, I read uh, the Outlander series. Well, no. I read the first three books of the Outlander series, and I got stuck on the fourth one. Um, but by, by Diana Gableton, and she had a really great quote. I think it was in Dragonfly and Amber, where um, this one character who was a historian talks about people who did great things in history, and the thing he said was like, they all suffered. Like you, you don't get to do all this stuff without a certain amount of suffering. And I'm not trying to say like I martyr myself or anything, but like it's hard. You know, I run three therapeutic groups plus a DM clinical role. And then I also play my own game. So it's five games of D and D a week, which is awesome. But I've DM four of them. And none of the four take place in the same universe. That's <laughs> a, a heavy mental. And you were talking before about all the emotions in the game. That's a huge emotional yeah. load. And I imagine just an administrative load. You're probably scheduling and you talked about you just like, oh, this player's not going to be here. Like, so now I have to scramble. And it's mm -hmm. it's a lot of hats to wear. And, uh, you know, a, a concept I think about in some of the work I do, because I work in a primary care clinic and. I have no way to predict my day. 
like depending on which doctors are in a clinic and who's sending me patients, it's just a lot of set shifting. So you kind of shift from one set of roles and agendas to another. And I think the more often you have to do that throughout the day, the, the bigger the challenge yes. it is. And I've, I've gotten good at it over the years because that's my job and that that's what I do. But like you, like I have a family, just one, one child, one son. Um, but since he's born, a lot of the hobby stuff has taken a bit of a backseat. And for me, there's this, like, I'm prioritizing family at the same time. I feel guilty because I should, I feel like I should be doing more with mm -hmm. the hobby stuff and combining mental health and gaming. I have a lot of ideas about that, what I, what I could be doing, what I should be doing. And then the brilliance of social media is you get to see what everyone else is doing and you're like happy for other people. And at the same time, you're like, Oh, I, I could have done something like that. Or that makes me want to do this thing, but I don't have the time. It's, I think it's a challenge and it's, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of persevering through that. And, and, and I don't know if thriving is a good word. Surviving might be a better one. <laughs> surviving, not thriving. Survive, surviving. Surviving. Yeah. But, but I think it's just a really interesting landscape right now, not only for the folks who are interested in mental health and, and gaming, but just I think tabletop games in general, and really like any hobby in general, just this, you can cultivate an audience or you can do things just to enjoy yourself. And there's always this push-pull of how much should I put out there? How much should I try to promote myself? How much should I just do things for my own enjoyment? What, how are you navigating all this? Like, how much of this are you aware of personally? I try to be very aware of it. And, like, it, the one thing that I think is really good is the D&D &D game I play weekly. Um, I, I'm, I think every, pretty much every interview I do, I mention it just because it means so much to me. Um, it, I know myself well enough to know that, like, I tend to take on too much. And, like, anxiety is my constant friend and companion. And it drives me to do great things, but it also drives me into the ground. And so if I don't really force myself to take care of myself, I won't. And I'll burn out and I don't do good to anybody then. Um, and so what I like about D&D &D specifically is other people are counting on me to show up. Like it, we have a very small group. It's four players under the DM. And so if one of us isn't there, it's a really big hole. Yeah. And it knowing that everybody else is counting on me to be there too, it, it helps. It helps me show up. And just to take those four hours that we play and to focus on my friends and to laugh and to have fun and to experience heartbreak and growth and all kinds of wonderful things. Um, that's been like one of my big anchor points in all of this. Um, I also say like clinical role as even though it's a streamed game and so you have to be performing and you're on and you have to be thinking about the audience and making sure that the game is entertaining to watch, not just fun to play is also incredibly just relaxing because I get to see my friends. Um, I started it to make better friends with other people who are doing therapeutic gaming and we've succeeded in that. And it's just really nice to have a chance to catch up with these people every couple, you know, a couple of times a month. And I remember in the, in the past, years ago, you had invited me on that 
a few times. And it was always like, oh, I, I can't make that date work or something was going on with family or I was out of town. And it's like one of those things like, oh, I wish I would have done that back then because now maybe it'd be more of a regular thing or I pop it mm -hmm. from time to time. It's always it's like a ah, push pull of what what can you what can you fit in? But you mentioned the idea of self-care, and I, I think that's so important. And again, something I, like a, a story I'll share with the clients I meet with is just the example of, you know, when you're on an airplane and they give you the safety lecture, it's like, you know, if we lose cabin pressure, put your oxygen mask on first before helping somebody else. This idea that if you're not taking care of yourself, then you really, you can't be there for, exactly. for other people because that idea of burnout, it just... There's only so much our body and our sort of mind can can take. In addition to D&D, &D, what do you find that's renewing for for your routine? It, it's been hard. It's like I actually hit a point where I didn't know that anymore. And it still is a D&D &D related thing, but I, this is great for a podcast. I'm going to hold up a, a mini painting now. Yes. Um, and I've recently really gotten into that and I'm really it enjoying great. it. No one else can see, can see that. Yes, so. It's a little elven paladin and she's got like this green and gold armor on. It's beautiful. Yes. Um, now I've really gotten into that because, uh, what I like about doing that is it's creative and create something. And I think creation is so important for humans. Um, it doesn't have to be art creation. It can be building a thing or fixing a thing, but something in our brains seems to really like it when we make things. And so I get to hit that part, but like, it's not so engaging that I can't also engage my brain in other ways. So there's, I found this, a couple of wonderful YouTube channels that I really love to watch while I'm mini painting, which means I'm, I'm listening to them. Um, so if you are a Tolkien nerd, I highly recommend men of the West. Okay. It's, I love it. It's deep dives into just Tolkien lore and talking about what might've happened if this had happened and what really happened here and why did these things happen? Um, and I also really am enjoying the, uh, channel. Hello, future me. Um, he, uh, he does some really deep dives into avatar, the last airbender. Uh, cause I adore that series. I think it's great. Someone just gave me that series. Like you need to watch this. And I've never seen you it. You haven't watched. I oh haven't. my God. It's so good. Yes. It's so good. <laughs> I, I'm trying it's to figure out. It's on the when list, I, which continues yeah. to grow, but yes. Oh, uh, my list is so long right now. I'm just finally getting to the good place. Um, okay. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Uh, but so I have that that channel on. He talks, and there's a lot of stuff that I use in D and D. You know, obviously, like Men of the West is gonna, it's Tolkien, it's fantasy. It helps you kind of build D and D stuff. But like, that's been helpful. And I've also gotten back into my own therapy too, and taking my own time for myself and trying to process. And you know, I, I say yes to too much. Like I recognize that and trying to learn those boundaries and learn how to say no more often and to keep something back for myself and for my family. It's, it's a hard balance. Um, and I don't think you ever get it completely right in life, but we always just keep working towards it. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned the, the military experience that you have and I, I would imagine that the sense of when it's okay to say no gets a little warped. It does, because you can't say no. Right. And how has that started to come back to you in some way? God, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that Yeah, because I spent – and I've been anxious my whole life, which already makes saying no kind of hard. <laughs> and then I spent you know, seven, seven years in a situation where I'm just not allowed to say no. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. 
it probably impacted things a lot. I'm curious, like what, if there's an example that comes to mind of something that maybe you passed on or said, you know what, I need to divert my attention to something else because I just can't take on more stuff right now. Um, a lot of conventions, actually. I was going to go to both PAX South and PAX East, but I decided to pass up on both of those uh, to just rest um, and focus. Yeah, I'm going to I'm still going to a bunch of conventions like I went to GalaxyCon this past weekend, but that one I could drive to it was for just for a day. Uh, but I've got GaryCon coming up later this month. Um and then I might be going to a symposium in April. I'm also doing a training in April, teaching a training in April. And then in May, I don't think I'm traveling in May. <laughs> you think, but you're not sure. I think. I'm not sure. And June, I don't think I'm traveling. July is some vacation and then going up to another local convention. And then August, school starts in September, September, October, November, and December are incredibly busy for me. I'm traveling a lot and going to a bunch of conventions. So um, even though I am saying no to some, I'm still doing a lot. Um, there's a lot of opportunities at the practice I'm at to, to do a lot of fun and cool things that I am having to pass up on. Um, again, just because like I have to recognize I'm going to be more effective on the things that I'm more passionate about and trying to balance there. <laughs> And uh, something that I think I've struggled with over, over the years, even dating back to like 2012, when I was like really focused on writing, I was writing a lot about like fourth edition D&D back at that day and, uh, you know, mental health and combining those topics quite a bit. And uh, a friend of mine had Mike Shea, Sly Flourish, who's very mm -hmm. prominent on Twitter and has written all kinds of books now. He kind of pulled me aside at, at Gen Con. He's like, yeah, like I really find your stuff great, and like, where where do you want to take your blog? I was like, I don't know. Like, I have a job. I don't. I don't know. This is kind of a hobby side thing, and I, I think since that time, I've always sort of struggled with that because I don't have this exact answer of like, well, this is this is where I want to go, or this is what I want to want to do. And I think the line between this was a fun outlet for that creative mm -hmm. side of me that needs to come out. Um, and uh, some other things we've moved and had some other stuff going on in my personal life. And our son is certainly taking up a whole load of time. I know kids take up time. Right. Like, and I don't think geez. we just acknowledge that as a society in general, that, you know, having one, two, four <laughs> children, um, you know, takes up a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of resources. And I, I think I haven't quite found a balance recently of, what to just do for myself and if other people like it, great, versus trying to chase some type of hobby goal. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wonder, like, what are your goals for the things that you're doing right now? Or do you even have them? Oh, no, I definitely have them. Okay. Um, so for me, well, let me back it up a little bit. It's not so Please. much goals, it's values, right? So uh, yeah. I, I'm a proponent of acceptance and commitment yes, therapy. Yes, which is and a so great way to reframe it. Yeah. yeah, one of the cornerstones of ACT is your personal values and the mission statements. And so my personal mission, my personal mission statement, sorry, I can enunciate, um, is empowerment through fun and education. And that's this mission statement that drives pretty much everything in my life, that I want to help those around me feel more empowered and I want them to have fun and to learn as they do it. And so D&D really fits that really, really well. Um, with 
geeks like us, you know, our mission statement or is it our mission? Our value statement is to be unapologetically enthusiastic and to just unite people together based upon passions and the things that they are super excited about. And like it, you know, we are a company and we're chugging along and we're trying to make content. We're trying to do things with all of us having busy, you know, super busy lives. And one of the coolest things that has happened though recently is um, we have a very active community. It's small, but it's super active. And these people who are all from different parts of the U.S. have now met up at a couple of the conventions and have become friends and have started their own D&D campaign that they stream. Fun. That's great. And like, it's so big for us because that's what we wanted to do with Geeks Like Us is we want to bring people together and to celebrate passions and to help lift each other up. And so those missions, those values are the things that drive us in what we do. That, that's a great reminder because I say that to the people I work with all the time and then thinking mm-hmm. about it myself of like, well, yeah, what are my values? <laughs> uh, I've done some stuff over, over the last couple of years after, after my, my brother ended his life. I've talked about that very openly on, on social media. I've written about it. It's like I have this desire to do more for suicide prevention and want to try to be an advocate and have my wife reminds me that I've done a lot and it's always this pull of like, well, I should be doing more kind of the same type of anxiety of like, well, you could Mm -hmm. be doing X, Y, and Z, but having just a reminder of not so much a goal, but a value of doing work in that direction is meaningful, whether it's Mm -hmm. something small or something bigger. Um, And it sounds like just, I like the way you put it, just like empowerment through, would you say through fun and, through fun and education. Fun and education. It's just it's that, a, and that's a short mission statement. I'm not gonna lie. I probably spent six months coming up with it. Sure. It, well, it was six months well spent. Yes. Oh my gosh, it took so long, and like it's one of those things of like it's such a short little se- sentence, but like it was months of journaling and listening to books on business and values and goals and trying to fit and but it it really was worthwhile to try to synthesize the things I personally value with a change in that I wanted to see in the world. Yeah. So, and, and if people are interested in uh, kind of investigating that for themselves, certainly therapy is, is mm-hmm. great. I have a therapist you've mentioned, you know, kind of going back to therapy yourself. Um, also there's values exercises that you can just kind of complete on your own. I wrote about one, I think a couple of years ago um, where you kind of go through and different values in your life rate, how important they are, how satisfied you might be with those. And it just gives you a bit of a, a compass of, yeah. And I'll say like, I, I'll give a trick here. I actually yeah. find those ones horrible. Okay. And here's why. Sure. Because again, over anxious brain, my brain goes to what am I supposed to value? Right. And I even give that disclaimer. I'm like, there's no right or wrong answers here. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Cause like your biases still come in and it's like, but you're supposed to value this. How do you do it? <laughs> what I tell people to do with this and I have not done research on it. So disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Sure. Um, I say, imagine the best version of you in a certain role. Like, so, you know, you've mentioned your dad, your husband, you know, you've, you've got friends, you're a D&D player, you're a DM. The best version of you as, you know, a husband, what does he do? How does he act? What things do we see? And we start listing those things out. And I tell people, give at least five for at least five different roles 
and do that three different times. Don't look at your previous answer. And then after you've done it three times for five rolls with at least five descriptors for each thing, go back and start looking at what words keep popping up. Across multiple roles, what what are the words that pop up again and again and again? The ones that are popping up continually, I would argue, are your core values. It's usually going to be two, possibly three words that really sum up the things that matter to you, that if nothing else can happen in your life, if you can hit those three things, you feel like you're living a good life. And then the words that are popping up frequently, but not as frequently, are kind of like your secondary values. They're like the icing on the cake. If we can get those, that's awesome, too. Okay. That's a, that's a great way to do it. So what, what is your best ideal self as, as a DM, as a therapist? Oh gosh, I'm so far off the mark of where I want to be as a therapist. It's terrible. And kind of as a DM too, because one of the things I want to be able to do is to say like that I am reading, I, I want to be reading all the time. Um, I actually, I have a, I'm, I have a goal this year of reading about a book and a half a month, which I'm technically still on track with. I finished two books in January and I finished one and a quarter books in February. So I need to up it a little bit for March. Um, I want to be reading a lot. And that's one of the big things for me is like the more I can consume and understand and draw parallels for with people and point them in directions of stories that can help them, the better I think they are. The more research I can understand um, as a therapist, I think the better a psychologist I will be. Um, I try to consume as you know, I, I can't say as much research as I can because I could, you know, I give up all the D&D stuff and read re- research day in and day out and I still wouldn't be caught up on it all. It's impossible. Um You know, I do make an effort, though, to see what's going on that's new. Um, And, like, I do this podcast in part, um, Brain Noodles, with my friends so that I force myself to have to read some stuff. Because, like like you mentioned, like, there's that list, right, of shows, of books, of movies. And it only seems to ever grow longer, right? (laughs) Um, And so it... It's these different ways that I can kind of trick myself into doing the stuff I want to do, but I don't want to do, right? Yeah. It's like we want to eat healthy, but we don't want to eat healthy. <laughs> and I think, you know, having a schedule or what I – and it's funny because this other podcast I do with, with a friend of mine, and one of the reasons we started it is just to kind of document some of the silly stuff that, that we discuss all the time, but also to make sure that, hey, like we should we should chat from time to time. But talking about what I've been doing this year is just kind of self-monitoring and list, listing like new things I'm consuming, whether it's mostly music, but I'm trying to read a book a month as well. And there's a ton of shows that I haven't haven't gone through or movies. And I'm just keeping a list of all the new stuff that I listen to or watch. And I started making that list and I didn't really know where it would go in January but like I listened to a few new albums. I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. It's nice to write that down. So that inspired me to, you know, anytime I had a break at work or maybe on the treadmill, it's like, well, I'll just find a new album and listen to it. Then I can write it down. So it kind of became its own reward. Mm -hmm. Um, So just kind of paying attention to our behavior and what we're doing, if that's connected to our values. I, I think there's a lot of power in that. And sometimes it helps to not just keep track of it in your head, but for me to, to write it down or, you know, list, yeah. list it out. 
Yeah, it's finding that thing that motivates you. Like, um, uh, there's a YouTube channel I really like called Healthcare Triage. It's a medical doctor. Just, I, I like it because he talks about medical news and gives new research in a very bite-sized way that I could digest and could listen to quickly mm-hmm. and then move on with my day. But I, he did an episode talking about fad diets and different diets. And the ultimate conclusion, he said, so what's the best diet out there? It's the one you stick to, mm-hmm. right? Like, what's the best journal out there? The one that works for you. What's the best way of motivating yourself to listen to a new album or to read more? The one that works for you. I think uh, it's useful to have somebody to bounce ideas off of and to work with. And that's, again, just be an advocate for therapy. I'm biased since that's what I do and what you do as well. Um, But, you know, having a therapist to talk to certainly been helpful for me over the years and I think being willing, to, being willing to experiment with something mm-hmm. new. Uh, you were talking about earlier in, in role-playing games that you have exposure to different emotions, different ideas, and our brain sort of makes sense of that. So being willing to experiment, expose yourself to new things is incredibly useful and also incredibly scary at times. So yeah, em, embrace, having someone that you can partner with to embrace some of that discomfort is really beneficial. Mm-hmm. No, completely. And you know, I'm so thankful that my husband's an awesome partner and like getting to bounce ideas off of and to talk things through and like, you know, the, you probably do this now that you have, you know, your kiddos bigger and like you do the, the update with the spouse, right? Or it's not you're really having a conversation. It's like this, this and this. Okay. And this, this and this. <laughs> and you're off running off to other parts of the house. Right. <laughs> Right. Trying to check in, same room, eye contact, no distractions. It's it's harder and harder to do. It is. It is. So how can people get in touch with you? How can they follow all your stuff? Like, uh, As you mentioned, I'm on Twitter a lot. I like Twitter. Yeah. Twitter gets lots of hate, but like, I don't get it because your feed is completely based off of the people you follow. And so, like, you follow people who post awesome, fun things and funny gifts, which is one of my top criteria. (laughs) And you get, like, an awesome feed filled with cool things, and you get to see all the amazing things that people are up to. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, My website's Megan's ID. Um, You can also find me at Geeks Like Us. Um, So every other Monday, we're doing Clinical Role. Sometimes I pop on there to do other things. I brain noodles podcast that comes out every couple of weeks on all the places where podcasts are. Um, and then, uh, I also do trainings through a company called Leyline where we're doing, um, certifications, becoming a geek therapist. And yeah, see, this is why I'm tired. Right. <laughs> it, it's a lot. Uh, I've also got a chapter that just came out in a book on video games and I've got another one that's coming out at some point later this year. So congratulations yeah. on all the, Interesting Ugh. and successful stuff you're doing. It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> and I appreciate you sharing some time in your busy and tiring schedule to uh, talk with me about these subjects. And I appreciate getting into this topic of, of burnout and mm-hmm. how we manage all this. As um, My sense is the two of us aren't the only ones that are struggling with that. There's there's a lot of, I think, suffering out there. Suffering is a key word. Um, mm-hmm. and I hope that this discussion maybe helps some other people come up with some ideas or just acknowledge like, Hey, yeah, this is going on and here's what I could do about it. Yeah. Yeah. Burnout is real. And like trying to find that balance and making sure that you're 
saying yes to the right things and no to the right things as well. Um, and also understanding too, I think this is important is no, doesn't have to be forever. It's just like a no right now. Yeah. That's like a, that's um, an excellent point. And it's okay. You know, so even if like, uh, my uh, friend and colleague, uh, Dr. B put it very well with somebody who was saying, I feel like I'm missing the boat with, you know, getting to be out there doing the tabletop role playing games for therapy. And the thing he said is like, well, yeah, but there's going to be a new boat that you're going to be on and it's going to be way better than our boat because our boat is being patched and made as we go. And eventually it's going to sink and then your boat's going to overtake ours. <laughs> That's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think it gets into that, you know, fear of missing out and social comparison and it's, it can be a challenge. And I think reminding yourself of well, what's important to me, what are my values and how can I, you know, take care of myself in that context is, is really important. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, build your own boat. <laughs> it's, yes. <laughs> it's kind of a nice way to, to conclude it. So thank you very much for your time. Good luck with everything you have going on. And it's my hope that I get to one of these conventions soon so I uh, can cross paths in person, which would be cool. Um, but certainly uh, welcome to come back at any time, maybe two and a half years from now or earlier, if you like. Yes. <laughs> so thank you again. Thank you so much. Sure.